0: Today, and so I just want to share a couple things that the Lord placed on my heart. But Isaiah 9, verse 6 says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor. And today we're going to focus on mighty God. I want to pray, Father, I pray that we would, uh, I know when Pastor Daniel had texted him about what I share. he said, uh, what does it mean that Jesus, Jesus is a mighty God and called mighty God, and so today, Lord, I pray that there would be a supernatural revelation, God, that by the time we leave this service, we would be shouting, mighty God. Lord, that you would be mighty in and through our lives, not only reading it, scripture, but Father, that it would be in and through our lives. God, be mighty. Lord, I pray, Father, for the faith to give you the opportunity to be mighty in our lives today. Lord, I pray for those that may be in here this morning and they have given up on some things lord i pray father that you would resurrected god you would encourage them you would strengthen them you would give them the faith to respond to your word today lord you said if i open up my mouth you would fill it and i pray for an anointing god i pray for those that are in this house god and christmas right now feels like a very tiring season lord give us the strength give us the energy what we need to do this morning to be able to be changed permanently and forever. God, I pray, Lord, by the time that we leave this building, Lord, we will be forever and ever and ever changed, God. I pray for those that are in here, Lord, that may be coming out of formality, may be a spouse, just Uh, They feel like they were forced to come into the house of God this morning. Maybe some were hanging on by a thread and some were coming in. God, writing uh, such a high cloud, Lord, they're on the top of the mountain, Lord. Father, I pray wherever we're at that you would speak to us. You would speak clearly to us. You would speak clearly through me, God, and that your word comes with power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Lord, we thank you for your house. Lord, thank you for your house. We give you the glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to first want to share with you a a mighty God who heals. So again, we're going to, this scripture is going to be on the screen, but we're going to turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, if you have your Bible, I'm going to read a few verses here in Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 40. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 40. A mighty God who heals. The Bible tells us in verse 40 that a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. And moved with compassion, there's a little note, the NLT translation says, or anger. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared, and the man was healed. So, first thing we're going to talk about, like I said, there's so many mighties that we can talk about. But the first one is that a mighty God who heals. Now, uh, my daughter and I, we we were reading, and a couple of the kids were reading through these verses this week, and she asked me a question. She said, Dad, why, why does the man not come from behind? And why does he come in front of Jesus? And the thought was in my heart that this man came to a place where he confronted, in a way, Jesus and said, this is everything that you get, Jesus. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to try to come in secret. Jesus, I am coming in humility. I am coming to you as a mighty God who can heal. I am coming and you get exactly what you get in me, Jesus. There was, uh, really came to a point of humility, came to a point where this person wasn't concerned what other people were thinking anymore. And beloved, listen, uh, we are not just going through Christmas to talk about our religious traditional beliefs. We are going to encounter Christmas. We are going to encounter Christ. Uh, I, I... Came across in the book Why Revival Tarries, there's a story in there about a man who's on death row and he's approaching, about to be executed. And there's a minister there beginning to read scripture. And as he's reading scripture, he reads it so monotone, so dead in a way, where there's no life coming out of him, that the man on death row turns to him and says, If you really believed what you were reading, You and I, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, you and I would get on our hands and knees and crawl I think it was England, crawl across England filled with glass just to tell one person about Jesus. And so folks, we're not here to talk about historical facts about Jesus. We're not here to to give you uh, traditional information about Jesus. We want to meet with a mighty God. We want to meet with a living God. And so this man comes with... Not concerned anymore of what others may think. He's not concerned if he's going to get in trouble. He's not concerned if he's going to get stoned. He's not concerned if he's going to get persecuted. He came to a place where he said, I need a healer. And he comes and he kneels, begging Jesus to be healed. He said, if you're willing, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And I love this because he doesn't ask for one thing. He doesn't just say, Jesus... Take away the leprosy. He says, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Or in other words, Jesus, if you are willing, don't just take away my cursing. Don't just take away my pornography watching. Don't just take away my anger in my home. Don't just take away the violence. Don't just take away the jealousy, the prejudice, the pride. Jesus, I pray that you will go deeper into the heart and heal me. And then the stuff on the outside will also go away too. And that's a difference, folks. Jesus wants to do so much more than just take away the outside. But we need to come to a place where we say, Jesus is not only clean me, it's also heal me. See, he doesn't want to just address the fruit. He wants to get to the root of the situations that we go through in life. And my prayer has been, uh, really, this week, that you would not go through another season. We would have a response to this. Why go through another Christmas a certain way internally? Why go into another Christmas with bitterness in our heart? Why go into another Christmas with still being angry at a certain family member, still being angry about the culture and the situation we're in when we can actually be healed? He says, I'm willing. Jesus reached out and he says, move with compassion or move with anger. I wonder if the anger was, don't you know who I am? Don't you know I can do that? Don't you know that I am King of kings and Lord of lords and there's nothing too hard for me to do? There's nothing too intense. There's nothing that I am ashamed of. There's nothing that I can't touch. Jesus is willing to touch this man. He could have healed him a lot of different ways. He could have just spoke the words and the man was healed. He could have sent him on his way and just said, be healed. Uh, He could have spit on another person, and he could have done a lot of different things, but he touches somebody that was untouchable. He touches somebody that doesn't want to, really, that nobody else wanted to touch or be around. And I can imagine that that touch meant a lot. And he can touch your heart. He can touch you. So he can touch you, man. He can touch you. He can touch you in a way that nobody else can touch you. He will touch the part of the heart that nobody else can touch reached out and he touched them. Jesus is not ashamed to touch the dirtiest part of our lives. The dirtiest part. The greatest Christmas gift we could ever receive, which we'll get to in a little while, salvation in Christ Jesus. But I think some of the other greatest gifts of freedom, a new heart, new mind, new spirit, that he can touch us. This because he said I'm willing. He said be healed. He didn't say be cleaned. He didn't say be cleansed. He said be healed. And because he was healed internally, what was happening? You know, leprosy is an external uh, result of something that's happening inside of the body. And so, some of us, as we sit here and we, we go through our struggles and we go through our different things, and God is still mighty. It's still mighty. it's still mighty. It's not. Uh, ten steps to how to get out of cursing. It is not, you know, four more steps on, on how to get along. I remember I was angry and hardened and didn't know how to smile, and I was 21 years old, and I couldn't get out. I couldn't get out. I wanted freedom. I remember there was a desire in my heart to be gentle. There was a guy on my football team in college. He was a pretty gentle guy, and I don't know if he was a believer, um, but I, I remember just wanting to even be like him wanting that gentleness somehow to come in and through my life, and I couldn't get out to the point. I remember, and I'm going to share some of my testimony today, I remember when I was in high school, and I remember I was uh, dating someone my sophomore year, and she came parents. This is why you have to be very, very careful. She came from um, a Christian home. I was not a believer, and, and so they, and, and I barely interacted with them, and we dated for a, quite a while. And, um, and, and so I was... Yusuf, I was an angry, violent person, and I remember I'd get into the car and I would drive home by myself to my parents' house and I would want to literally beat myself up. Why can't I get out? Why can't I change? There is a freedom that's found in Jesus. And so when we call him Mighty God, he's able to heal And be healed, and instantly, in verse 42, the leprosy disappeared, and the man was healed. He was healed, but the leprosy left. And so before we just approach God and, and, and want him to change the character choices that we make, understand that Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords that came to earth, He wants to go deeper than that. He wants to go into the part of the heart that nobody can touch. He wants to change you and I. He wants to make us into what he created us to be. He is a mighty God who heals. Number two, if you turn with me to Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. Jesus is a mighty God who restores got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore and then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrives. When he saw Jesus he fell at his feet pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying. He said, please come and lay your hands on her so she can live. A couple is a religious leader. Jairus is a leader at the synagogue, which tells us hopefully something about his character. At least it tells us that he's humble enough to be able to go to the source of where healing can take place. And he has a real need. He has a family crisis going on, a family situation going on where Jesus can break in and do a miracle. And so he comes and he humbles himself to Jesus, asking again for healing, asking again, saying, my daughter is dying. At this point, he doesn't know our condition fully, but he recognizes enough to say something's dying. Marriage is dying. My, my relationship with my children is dying. My career may be falling apart. And, and for all different reasons, it can be some our choice, some could be spiritual attacks or whatever the reasons may be, but there is a real need here. He goes to Jesus, and we won't read the in-between, but if you know this story, there's a woman who's bleeding for 12 years, and she comes behind, uh, Jesus touches the hem of his garment, and Jesus heals her. And so some time goes on here, and that's how we can be at times when we're praying to Jesus. We pray to Jesus, and and it's like, Lord, time is going on. And and I can imagine Jairus is walking, and it's like the crowd is pressing around Jesus. And maybe he's trying to, and he didn't touch him. We know that the lady touched him. But I wonder if he wanted to give him a little shove, a little push. Jesus, come on, we, we, we have to get going here. There's a real need. There's a time and an urgency to my problem and my situation. And Jesus knows that he has all time under control. And all time is in his hand, and he's sovereign. And so he stops, and he has an encounter with this woman. And the Bible tells us, he says, in verse 34, and he said to the woman, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, your suffering is over. But the Bible says, while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. Now, a couple things about these messengers. They were in his home. They were in his home. Messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. My question is, what kind of messengers live in your home? What kind of messages are we listening to when we put on our music And 15 minutes before, we spent time with the Lord, and we spent time crying out to Him, and we spent time asking the Lord to do a miracle and be mighty, mighty God. And we ask Him to do those things, and then we put on music that contradicts everything that God stands for. What messengers are we listening to? You know, no pastor in the whole world is that a control person, and neither. messengers arrived from the home of Jairus. Let me tell you something to leaders, too. It says that he was a leader. It's so important if you serve, your leader of your home, number one. And if you serve somewhere else, we don't want yes people around us. We want people of faith. We want people who can touch God and get a hold of God. Pastor Floyd shared it Tuesday night about that testimony about a man who came in asking for Said, I don't want just anyone to pray. I want the people who know how to pray to pray. The people who know how to touch God. And so these messengers arrive, and here comes discouragement. Here comes the voice of the enemy. They told them, "Your daughter's dead." They they diagnosed the situation. Not Jesus. We'll get to that. But these other people said, "I have a, a, a diagnosis for your situation. I have a diagnosis for your family, for your marriage. It's over." But that's not what Jesus said. And they say, No use troubling the teacher now or in other words, just stop praying. Stop talking to Jesus. Stop talking to him. Stop stop going to him. Why keep going to him with your need? Why keep going day after day, year after year with the need? This is just the way it is. You're just like mom. You're just like dad. Nothing's going to change. You're not changed. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that those who are in Christ are a brand new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so you have to know, beloved, what messengers are you listening to? Who are you listening to? What are you putting into your heart, into your mind, into your ears? What are you reading? So don't ever believe a lie to stop troubling the teacher. We're not troubling the teacher. We're not troubling God by coming to him in prayer. He came to us. A mighty God came to us to be mighty. But there's only really uh, one way for God to be mighty in our lives. It's in other words, in order to let him be mighty in our lives. And so Jesus overheard in verse 36. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Thank God that Jesus hears him. Thank God he hears our situation and he knows our situation. And he comes in with a word. He comes in with a word. That's why it's so important that you and I get into this book and we read it until it reads us. And so we can get a word. We can hold on to this word. And we hold on to the word. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Don't be afraid of your situation. Don't be afraid that it looks like it's going to fall apart. Don't be afraid. Remember, we have a mighty God who restores. We have a mighty God who heals. We have a mighty God who restores. And then in verse 37, then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. There's another gospel that this story is told and it says when Jesus goes to this home, they're playing funeral music. Funeral music. And the enemy loves to sing the song of death over our lives and over our situations. We went to the juvenile detention center not that long ago. And I can't imagine when some of those young men sit there and hear life is over. There's no hope. There's no future. But let me tell you, you don't need to be in prison to hear those voices. You could be sitting here today, and the voice of the enemy, you hear the funeral music. Maybe the orchestra started striking up the funeral music. And it seems like marriage is over. Christmas doesn't matter much because life just seems like it's falling apart. Jesus hears the commotion, the show, these are like professional mourners. I don't know if you know people like that. You, you, You get around them, you talk to them, and by the time you leave their presence, you feel down professional mourner. Again, we're not talking about denying reality. What God says, don't be afraid, just have faith. And so the funeral music is playing, the noise is happening, there's chaos in the mind. It just seems like it won't shut off. inside He says she's not dead. She's asleep. And some of you came in this morning and you're saying, Marriage, my marriage is dead. It's not dead. And your daughter's not dead. And your son's not dead. And they may be asleep right now. Or maybe your spouse is asleep right now. And maybe you're sleeping right now as I'm speaking. But you're not dead. You're not dead and it's not over. We said, we have a mighty God. We have a mighty God who heals. We have a mighty God who restores. And so now the child isn't dead. She's only asleep. They laugh at him and he pays no attention. He just kicks them out. He says, get out. Get out. He made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying down. And holding her by the hand, this is so important, this is the key, holding her by the hand so many times in life you and I have probably heard rise up in your own strength rise up man up toughen up stand up, change do something this girl can do nothing absolutely nothing she didn't have a plan she came to a place the only thing that can happen is her hand is inside the hand of Jesus That's it. My Bible says that when we are in his hand, nothing can take us out. And so now her hand is inside the hand of Jesus. So this time when he says get up, it's not in her strength. He picks the girl up. And he can pick up your situation, he can pick up your marriage, he can pick up your parenting, he can pick up your mind, he can pick up your job situation, your home situation, he can take away fear, he still delivers from panic attacks, and he can restore your marriage, he can restore your life, he restores. And the girl gets up, 12 years old. And immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. And he gives them strict orders not to tell anyone. But now listen to this. Then he told her to give her something to eat. This is great. Because when God restores your life and God touches you, you got to eat this. you got to get into this word. You've got to spend time with him. And if you don't have the desire, you ask for the desire. Well, my part of my prayer life is to actually pray to pray. God, help me to pray. God, give me a desire to pray. And then I read the Word and I say, "Okay, that's what I'm supposed to pray." And it just goes around and around. Because when He restores us, give us something to eat. So mighty God who heals, a mighty God who restores. Now turn with me to Joshua chapter two. We're going to talk about a mighty God who destroys. Joshua chapter two. a Mighty God who destroys. Remember the story, Joshua sends two spies to scout out the land of Jericho, and what's happening is when they get there, there's a woman who is a prostitute, her name is Rahab, and Rahab hides these two spies in her home. And I want to share with you just some thoughts about the conversation that Rahab has with these spies. Starting at verse 9, she's talking to the spies, and she says to them, I know the Lord has given you this land. She told them, we are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For so we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For so the Lord your God is the supreme God, the mighty God. And we're going to get to why, if if we're talking about Jesus being called the mighty God, why are we reading in the book of Joshua? We'll get to that in a second. No one has the courage to fight. Your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. And she says, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family. Since I've helped you, give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she lived in the wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there. Left, the men told her, We will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you side was, she was able not just to preserve her own life, but also her family's life. Now, God was about to go in and knock the walls of Jericho down, and the people of God were going to go and conquer Jericho. If you know the story about the walls coming down in the the book of Joshua, they marched around, and after a certain amount of time, God gave them more instruction, and bam, the walls come down. What's amazing is this. If the walls came down, which they did, how did she survive? I believe God let her house not fall down. See, God can destroy the walls that are in our heart without destroying us. He is also a destroyer. He is able to come in. It's like a spy in the wall. And and, and so there's something in your heart right now, even as I'm speaking, and, and maybe there is a wall up, maybe there is a facade up, maybe there's a shell up, but there's someone inside of your heart saying this is true. God is the supreme God. God is the God who can take away the things in my life that don't belong but still preserve me. He came to give life, not destroy men's lives. He came... To give life to the fullest, the Bible says. And so we put up these walls and we say, you can't come in, God. This is just, I must defend myself. I must protect myself. I must always this, myself, 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 myself. We will not know the protection of God until we allow him to tear down everything that he wants to tear and trust him as a good father. And you and I can trust him as a good father. We can trust him as someone who can keep and entrust what's been guarded to him. study bible gives a note about this scarlet robe the bible says that the sign that was going to preserve those that are in the house and let me tell you this that the other family members needed to make a choice to go in the house it's not just because dad is saved everyone's saved they needed to choose to get into that house themselves that time period in order to communicate to others that she was a prostitute in the John Corson study bible there's a note here it says that she needed to paint her windowsill red and I hope you can see the analogy here and you can see the picture of Jesus because Jesus is a mighty God so her windowsill is red she's been living in a moral life but she knows where the supreme God can be found Order for there to be safety with the windowsill red, she has to lower a red rope. Folks, come on, you know what that makes, right? A cross. It's only in the cross that there's safety. It's only in the cross that God can destroy the things that He needs to destroy in our life, but still preserve us and protect us. It's only in the cross when everything that can be shaken will be shaken, the Bible says but only those found in the cross are going to be able to stand. It's in the cross where she can be preserved and and it can affect the other family members in a positive way. It's in the cross. It's in the mighty God, Jesus Christ. It's in the cross. It's in the cross. Lastly, I want to share this with you. If you turn to Luke chapter 2, a mighty God who saves. I had the privilege of going to the nursing home the team last Sunday and, and, and sharing a word with the people there at the nursing home, not just the elderly but staff and, and workers that were there. And it reminded of a story, well it's not really a story, it reminded of experience that when I lived in Staten Island for a season, it was popular for people to put happy birthday signs. It says happy birthday Jesus. And they put those signs on their front lawn. We've ever one of those lawn signs before, and, and that they're, they're nice. But if you know much about that now, statistically, they say at most 10%. I think it's probably between 5 and 10% are, are born-again Christians out of about half a million people that live there. And so those signs that are on the lawn well, are pretty clear and depict a pretty clear message of how many people celebrate Christmas. Jesus will say happy birthday to you outside the house, but you can't come in the house. And so that, that that's a lot of how people, Christmas is, Christmas for some people even in this room has been an outward experience. You, you see the lights and you see the tree and you see the presents and you see everything else that Christmas may come with, but it still feels like there's something missing. And Christmas seems like a very distant holiday for many people. A couple years ago, now I think it's been a couple years, maybe a year, maybe two, there was a home down in the Carolinas, and they, for Christmas, in their community of houses, they, they put a cross on their lawn for Christmas as a decoration. Well, people were upset by that, and so the, the Housing Authority Association, or whatever you call it, had a meeting about this. And in the meeting, they even used scripture. And in the meeting, they came to the conclusion that this is more of an Easter decoration and not really appropriate for Christmas. And let me tell you something, you cannot separate the baby from the People like the baby, but the cross is offensive. Those of you that are streaming, I want you to hear that. People like the baby, but the cross is offensive. Because the cross shows us our need. He is a mighty God who heals. He's a mighty God who can restore your life and those that are around you. He's a mighty God that can destroy what he needs to destroy while protecting us. But he's also a mighty God who saves. Luke chapter 2. Starting at verse 6, and while they were there talking about Mary and Joseph, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, "'Don't be afraid,' he said. "'I bring you good news that will bring great joy "'to all people. "'The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, "'has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, "'and you will recognize him by this sign.'" I love this verse, this sign. People are always looking for a sign. God, give us a sign. God, give me a sign if you're real. Here's the sign. You'll find a baby. A baby. Wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. A baby. That the king of all the world would come in to our situation and our world as a baby. In humility. In vulnerability. Coming into our lives. wrapped in strips of cloth that cloth was very similar to what was used at burial time he was always meant to die jesus was born to die and i want to tell you something the first christmas tree that was ever planted is the one that was between two thieves on calvary that's the first christmas tree folks The first Christmas ornament wasn't a ball and it wasn't a candy cane. It was was red, but it was a blood-covered Savior that was nailed to that first Christmas tree. With thorns in his head and flesh ripped out of his back. And he went through that because he loves us. Not because he had to. Not because of some contract or guarantee, but he came because he loves us. He loves you. He loves you. a mighty God who can save. The Bible says that good news, great joy, all people. Good news, great joy, all people. Good news, great joy, all people. The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. I want to ask very clear this question today about salvation. If Christmas has been somewhere far away, but now you want Christmas in the heart, you want Christ, Jesus, as your Lord, to as your Messiah, as your Savior, you could be forgiven for everything sin that was ever committed, every, every lie, every lustful thought action, every, every selfish motive, every angry outburst, every, everything, everything, everything can be wiped clean, the whole slate, the whole record, gone. The baby came to die. It came to seek and save the lost. I want to ask the question, if you're here this morning. Not if you put the manger on the lawn. Those those things are nice. But have you opened up your heart? And have you surrendered your life to Jesus? I'm not going to embarrass you or just want to pray with you. And if you're here this morning, we have a mighty God who saves. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Any hands now? say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Okay. Let's stand together. We're going to close like this. God who restores. He restores lives. He restores marriages. He restores relationships. We have a mighty God, a living God. This is not a Christmas fable. Don't rush out of this place. You need a mighty God who restores you. Come and find your place prayer this morning you need a mighty God who destroys maybe you say this Christmas I don't want to be the same person this Christmas I want to be a different husband a different father a different wife a different mother a different child a different niece uh, nephew grandchild whatever it may be God can take the things out of our heart that need to be taken out we don't need to be afraid of being honest with him maybe you once walked with the Lord and you said drifted away they begin to worship you slip out of your seat you come like the man in mark chapter one this is exactly who i am jesus i'm not going to run away i'm not going to be afraid i'm not going to be ashamed don't let pride keep you in your seat you have a loving savior with his arms wide open who says he wants to answer prayer this morning let him be mighty let him be mighty give him the chance to be mighty humble ourselves before the Lord and say God be mighty